at a young age, my father left abroad and my mother died the following year. So at an early age, I was already a member of several street gangs in Baguio City. I sought guidance and love that came from the hunger of missing a parent. I spent most of my time with my gangmates. We were in clubs and liquor, liquor bars almost every day from afternoon until dawn. I got involved in gang activities such as drug dealing and gang banging. I was high on drugs every day. Before I sleep, after I wake up, before I eat, before I take a bath, before I eat my breakfast and everything. Because of drug addiction, I have made a lot of mistakes. Many times, my behavior was unacceptable, even some of my gangmates, to even some of my gangmates. I wanted to be valued and cared for, accepted and wanted. I proved myself to be the best kid in the gang. I tried to please everyone to earn their love in return. But it seemed that, the only, that they only wanted me if I will do things that will favor them, which I cannot do to please everybody. It was a Saturday night of November 2004 when a rival group attacked us and unfortunately, one of them was killed. We went hiding, but I was caught by the police. As a result, I was imprisoned. In prison, I have experienced physical suffering, but the worst suffering I had experienced was when everyone I hoped to be with me disappointed me. My family rejected me. My girlfriend left me, and my gangmates forsook me. Along with this situation, I was also expecting a conviction and would sentence me from life term to death penalty. I was hopeless. It came to the point that I cannot bear all those things anymore. One night, I found myself crying to the Lord and asking Him, Why is it that I am experiencing these things? If you really love me, why am I in this situation? And I even challenged him, if you really are powerful, release me from this incarceration. The next morning came, I was sitting in front of our cell, and a cellmate of mine handed me a Christian booklet. In that, I read a Bible passage from Matthew 6:26 that says, Look at the birds, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather in their barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This really spoke in my heart. I realized that there, that there is someone who love, values me. I opened my heart right away and accepted the love he is offering. After making that decision of receiving him, I realized that, that that true love that I had been looking for could only be found in Jesus Christ alone. In the most wonderful, it is the most wonderful relationship I ever had. He loved me just as I am, and he demonstrated it to me by dying on the cross while I was yet sinner. When I was still dealing drugs, using drugs, and gang banging. Before, I was a violent man and short-tempered. But now, I know how to love because I have experienced unconditional love. I have also learned how to forgive because I have, forgive, I have been forgiven graciously. I first demonstrated the love of Christ working in me to my father. I told him that I forgive him of all his shortcomings and that I love him. Then, I reached out to my gangmates and even to my rival gangs, which before I only confront if I need to settle things by gun, by blade, or by fist fight. But now, 
I confront them by telling them that true satisfaction and genuine love is found in Christ alone. I also started to read the Bible, which before I only opened to rip a page so I can roll my smoke. I learned that many times human love has conditions. They will love you if you will favor them, but the love of God is genuine. It is unconditional and unending. After serving almost 10 years in prison, in New Believed Prison Maximum, I was paroled and given opportunity to serve my remaining service time outside of prison as a freeman. I did not expect that I will be released from prison sooner. The details how I got paroled is still a mystery to me. But one thing I know for sure, God is gracious, faithful, and sovereign. Accordingly, I seized the opportunity to be a better man by God's grace and strength. I applied in a school for graduate studies. But during the application, the admissions told me that they don't accept applicants anymore since the applications due was due two days ago. I told them that I cannot apply two days ago because I was just released from prison. After learning, after learning that, their admissions hurriedly gave me all the requirements so I can apply. By God's grace, I was accepted. The school encourages us to have a target area of ministry. I intend to minister to the cadets of Philippine Military Academy because I know that the youth who has a potential to have a greater impact to the nation in the future. It was on me that if they will be a Christ-like leader in their field and their, for their troops, our country would improve. Also, while in school, I met a leader in Elevate who has allowed me to see what they are doing in the campuses. As I have served in the youth organization, I remember my teenage years when no one has reached out to me and guided me. I feel burdened that if this youth would not be reached out and guided, they might end up like me in the prison cell or worse. I believe that God has put in my heart the prevention for, the prevention for those untouched and restoration for those destroyed. For I was once unreached and unguided, then imprisoned but was restored by Christ. I am now serving as a full-time campus missionary in Baguio City, the city where I used to roam around to create chaos, but now God has called me to go to campuses to share the love of Christ and disciple the youth. To God be all the glory. Praise God. Praise God. Marvin, why don't we pray for you? All right. Everybody, do you mind standing up? Let's pray for our brother. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for all that you have done in the life of Marvin. I now lift him up to you, that you continue to protect him. We pray that you guard his family, keep his walk always centered on your will, and expand his borders. Use him to bless many others, to bring glory to your name. I pray that there will be many more men and women, like our brother here, whose heart is dedicated to serving you. I now pray for everybody here that you will speak to all of us individually, collectively, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's begin with a short eye test. 
I want to test your eyes. What do you see? What do you see? The first to shout out gets a prize. See? Somebody says rocks. Somebody else says what? Ah. Bird with four eggs. Yes or no? You know why this picture is so memorable to me? We got this picture last week. I was in Africa giving a seminar on family, and the host gave us a nice rest and recreation safari. We were in the Africa safari, okay? And we saw lots of elephants, lions, cheetahs, but on the road, my son said, stop, stop. Right on the road. This is right on the road, on the safari road. I asked my son, how did you know that there's a bird? He said, a while ago, when we crossed paths with another car, another jeep, the people on the jeep told us, told my son, watch out for a bird that's on the road. So my son said, I saw the bird on the road because I was looking out for it. Our driver didn't even know. I didn't even know. So the lesson came into my heart. You will only find what you're looking for. God wants you to encounter Him. God wants to reveal Himself to us. But if you are not looking for Him, if you are not attentive to Him, you won't find Him. Are you aware of that principle? He gave us an amazing promise. This is His promise in Jeremiah 29. Let's read this together. Everybody, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Everybody read. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. You see, God wants you to have an encounter with Him. Why is that so important? Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you are over the age of 30? Raise your hand. Below 30, raise your hand. Wow, like me before. Like me before. What about below 25? Raise your hands. Wow. What about below 20? Raise your hand. Wow. Are you sure you're below 20? What about below 18? Okay. What about below 16? I feel so young. Young men, young women. Based on studies, all of us want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. You don't just want to exist. There was a survey made among 10,000 young men and women, high school age, college age, 10,000 surveys made by the Harvard Business School. 
You know what they discovered? The most important thing for young people, they rank them. The top one is they want to accomplish something significant. Number two, they want to be happy. That's most important. They want personal happiness. What is rank lower, less than 20%, around 20%, is to care for other people. In other words, the new generation, they want to live a life of significance. At the same time, they are more self-centered. They are more selfish. It is an oxymoron. Because we want to live a life of significance. Your life becomes significant, significant if you help others. On the other hand, we find it hard to help others. So what will change your heart? That's my topic today. You need to have an encounter with God. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. You need an encounter with God. Have an encounter with God. Tell your neighbor. Why is that important? Well, let me tell you why it is important. Look at this quotation by A.W. Tozer. Everybody together. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound, our inward attitudes right, while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. You see, the great challenge of today is who is God to you? What do you believe about God to be true is the most important thing about you. Let me repeat. What you believe to be true about God is the most important thing about you. A lot of us have a problem believing we have a good God. A lot of us have a problem believing that God really loves us. So our view of God is distorted. When your view of God is distorted, it's going to affect your behavior. Let me give you an example. If you don't really believe that God cares for you, if you don't really believe that God has your best interests at heart, why would you want to follow the Bible? When temptation comes, why would you not give in to temptations? If you're hungry and you don't believe God is able because your God is not big enough, you will compromise. You will probably steal. You will probably compromise. So ladies and gentlemen, your view of who God is is the most important thing about you. Whether you like it or not, all of us are theologians. The only problem is, are you a good theologian or are you a bad theologian? But all of you have concepts of God derived from your father. Your earthly father plays a very vital role in your concept of who God is. And sad to say, most of us have dysfunctional family. And you have allowed that dysfunctional family to impact the way you think, the way you behave. So today, I want to radically present to you the God of Scripture. Would you be interested? You want your life to change from the inside out? This is our problem. You must not worship the true God and imagine Him to be what you prefer Him to be. But you must worship Him as He reveals Himself to be. In other words, do not create a God in accordance to your own image. Do not worship a God that is coming from your own imagination. I like to believe God is like this. Because God is love, there must be no suffering. And if there is suffering, God is not love. You see, that, those kind of theology will distort you. And that's our problem today. 
why our faith is not vibrant. But I praise God for young people. Young people, you are the hope of this nation. Yes or no? Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. God wants to use you. But you must have an encounter. So I want to look at the life of Isaiah. Isaiah was a young man when he encountered the Lord. Are you ready? Let's look at Isaiah, how he encountered the Lord. All right, together. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Here is an amazing revelation from God to Isaiah. You see, Isaiah believed in God. But he needed a personal encounter with God. And God made himself real in the life of Isaiah. Let's read this together. In the year of King Uzziah's death. Now, you and I know, when a king dies, there is instability. The world seems to be out of control. Isaiah, tradition tells us, his father was the brother of the king. Tradition tells us, Isaiah belongs to the elite family. He was going to the temple. He believed in God. But then, boom, something happened. In the year of King Uzziah's death, when there was instability, God made himself real in the life of Isaiah. What did Isaiah see? Isaiah saw the Lord. What was he doing? Number one, sitting. God was not panicking. You see, the world may seem out of control. Your world may seem out of control. But I have good news for you. Is the Lord in control? Is our God in control? Your world may seem out of control. Perhaps some of you, your boyfriend left you, your girlfriend left you, your financial problem, you don't know about your future, you are so insecure. Well, God is telling you something. While your world may seem out of control, God is saying, I am seated on the throne. I know what's happening. And the Bible tells us, not just any ordinary throne. What kind of God do we have? Let's read Lofty and exalted. You see, the problem with us, we don't worship God properly because we don't know Him. Do you understand most people, their attitude of God is commercial. What do I mean commercial? It's cost-benefit. It's commercial. What do I mean by commercial relationship with God? You go to a restaurant because you like the food or because it is cheap. But the moment you don't like the food, you stop going to that restaurant. Yes or no? It's called commercial relationship. Most people don't really know God. Their relationship with God is commercial. Lord, I come to you, but this is what you must do for me. And the moment God does not do what you want him to do, you turn away from him. Why? Because you have no real encounter with God. You have an idea of God. You have a religion, but no personal encounter with God. How many times have I heard of young people saying, you know what? I don't believe in God anymore. Look at what happened to my father. Look at what happened to my mother. Look at what happened. 
to my boyfriend, girlfriend, if God loves me, why is he doing this? You turn away from God because somehow your relationship with him is cost-benefit. To you, God is like a Santa Claus or a genie, but not the God of the Bible. Once you encounter who God is, your life and your agenda will never, ever be the same. In this verse, Isaiah had an amazing revelation of who God is. Notice, surrounding God are seraphim. This is a plural, a plural form of super angelic beings, seraph, fire. These are amazing creatures. You read them in the book of Revelation. Two wings covering their eyes. Two wings, their feet. In other words, God is so holy. Even the super angels are not worthy to gaze upon the Lord. Here's a picture of amazing beauty, amazing greatness, the majesty of God. And the Bible tells us, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Notice something. The super angels were worshiping God and they were saying, Holy, holy, holy. What is the significance of this? In the Hebrew language, where the Old Testament was originally written, they don't have words like good, better, best. You understand? The adjectives are not like our English word today. You have good, better, best. Or if you like my English, good, gooder, goodest. Okay? They don't have that. What do they have? It's called repetition. Example, in Genesis 14, you have a description of pits. There's a lot of holes, big holes. So the Hebrew language says pit, pit. It repeats. In 2 Kings, you have a description of the temple furniture made of gold. But the Bible says gold, gold. It repeats because your English translation translated it as fine gold, beautiful gold. So it says gold, gold in the original language. It repeats to emphasize the quality or the number. But in Isaiah alone, chapter 6, you have a threefold repetition. Holy, holy, holy. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word holy. Whisper to your neighbor. What enters your mind? Be honest with me. What enters your mind when you think of the word holy? Whisper to your neighbor. You know, for many of us, the word holy can be boring. Because you have this picture of, you know, holy people. You know, they walk this way, you know. They don't really smile. Holy. Serious. That's completely wrong. The word holy in the Bible connotes absolute uniqueness, superlative, no comparison. In other words, it is so amazingly above the above of the above. So the Bible describes God as holy, 
holy, holy. There is no equal. So the Bible talks about the beauty of God is holiness. The Bible does not say power, power, power. The Bible does not say omniscience, omniscience, omniscience. The Bible says what? Holy, holy, holy. Because God is absolutely pure, absolutely majestic. In fact, in the book of Revelation, you have a repetition of who God is. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each one having six wings, full of eyes around and within, day and night, they do not cease to say, everybody read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. What were they doing? They were worshiping God out of His holiness. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever. The Bible says, Isaiah saw the glory of God. The whole earth was full of His glory. Ladies and gentlemen, another word I want you to learn is the word glory. Say that with me. Glory. Ano po ibig sabihin ng glory? The word glory comes from the word weight. It is weighty. Only God is glorious. Let me give you an example. Think of the most famous boxer. What, what, what will you say? Manny Pacquiao. Yes or no? Now, I can almost guarantee you. Someday when you get married and you have children and you ask your children, who is the most famous boxer? The name will no longer be Manny Pacquiao. During my time, do you know who was the most famous boxer? Muhammad Ali. Who is the most famous basketball player? How many says LeBron James? How many says Steph Curry? Who is going to win? Okay. All right. Their glory. As of today, whoever wins is glorious. Amen? But the glory of man is transitory. What's my proof? Let me prove something to you. Our glory is nothing compared to God's glory. What's the name of your grandfather? How many of you know the name of your grandfather? Raise your hand. You know the name of your grandfather. Keep them up. Now, once you don't know the answer, you bring them down. Still up, still up. How many of you know the name of your great, great grandfather? <laughs> What's the problem? You cannot even remember your own family. Why? Because no matter what, our glory is temporary. Understand now? So the glory of God is different. He alone is truly glorious, not man. You see, the glory of man is nothing. I've been to many parts of the world. I've seen the Taj Mahal. I've seen the pyramids of Egypt. Honestly, I don't even remember. I've been to Egypt so many times, 20 times. I've seen the pyramids. I don't always remember 
the name of the Pharaoh who built the pyramid. Because the glory of man is passing. But the glory of God is different. So the Bible tells us you must have a high view of who God is. Once you have a proper view of who God is, it's going to impact your life. And the emphasis is the holiness of God. Let's read this together. Power is God's hand. Omniscience, his eye. Eternity, his duration. But, everybody read, holiness is his beauty. Let me give you an example. The Bible describes the love of God is holy love. God's love is holy. God's knowledge is holy. What does that mean? When the Bible says God's knowledge is holy, that means there is nobody else that has the omniscience of God. God knows everything about you. Therefore, you got to trust Him because He knows what is best because God's knowledge is holy. God's love is holy. Unlike human love, human love, our love is selfish. I want you to imagine now, ladies and gentlemen, you are young. If somebody wants to marry you because in his or her mind, your parents have lots of money and they want to marry you to get money from you. So, you, so you're married. After getting married, your spouse discovered he or she cannot get your money because your money is placed under a trust. In other words, it's going to be given to you little by little. And your live-in partner or your spouse will now tell you, you know, since I cannot get your money without saying it, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to leave you. Now, be honest with me. How will you feel? If somebody loves you because he wants to get something from you, his agenda is selfish, and now he separates from you, how would you feel? Broken. What else? He speaks from experience. Broken. Will you feel used? Will you feel betrayed? You know many times we do that to God. Our relationship with God is not based on holy love. You want God because you want something from Him. And if He does not deliver, you say, no more God. But God is not like that. His love for you is holy love. Pure intention. Yet our relationship with God is based on self-centeredness. And that's why I submit to you, young men, got to know who God is. If not, your relationship with God, you will not have a real encounter with Him because your relationship with Him is commercial. And that's why many young people do not grow deep in their walk with God. Because you have encountered religion, but not God. Let me share with you the goodness of God. This is one of my favorite scientific truths that I want to share with you. God loves you so much that He created this world beautiful. Who messed it up? We mess it up. Yes or no? Let me give you an example. Do you know that the distance between the sun and the earth has to be so precise? 93,000 million, 93 million miles. If the earth 
is a bit closer to the sun, what will happen to the earth? No life will survive. It has to be precise. Because God's knowledge is perfect, holy, after your best interest. If the distance is a bit farther away, no life will survive. We will freeze to death. It has to be precise. 93 million months. The temperature of the earth has to be precise. 11,500 degree Fahrenheit. Precise. The distance between the moon and the earth and the size of the moon has to be precise. Why? So that you have the kind of gravity that changes so that the water will go up and the water will go down to clean the river, to clean the coastal areas because of the moon. Understand? That's how rivers <coughs> are cleansed, except Pasig River. <laughs> Most rivers can be cleansed by gravity. But Pasig River, another miracle, Lord willing. It has to be precise. Now, <clears throat> everybody, the distance between all of this and the sizes of all the planets is no accident. People don't realize if you change the gravity of the universe, all of these stars, by 0.0001%, the universe will not exist. Let me repeat. People ask me, how do you prove there's a God? I say, simple. Look at the design of our universe. Precise. Look at the size of Jupiter. It's a lot bigger than the Earth. You know why? If you don't have the Jupiter this size, all the comets, all the meteors will hit the Earth. This planet is like a garbage collector. It is so huge, the magnetic power is so huge, all the meteors will first be absorbed by Jupiter. It has to be precise. Everything has to be precise. Ladies and gentlemen, how big is our galaxy? By the way, did you study physics, science in your class? What galaxy are we on? Milky Way. Now, this is the Milky Way. Now, where is planet Earth? Where, where? There. Where, there? Where? How many sun do we have in the galaxy? This is just one galaxy. How many sun do we have in our galaxy? How many? You see, friends, our planet is under what sun? It's called the sun. Am I correct? <laughs> very good. Very good. Yes. Smart. Do you know our sun is not really big? There's another star in our galaxy. It's called Pistol Star. You know how big is the Pistol Star? It can accommodate one million Earth star. That's how big the Pistol Star is. 
So our sun is not really the biggest. It's just one star among 100 billion stars. Friends, you have no comprehension of 100 billion stars. If you start counting now, one, two, three, four, no eating, no drinking, until the day you die, you, you have not even reached a billion yet. You try. Now, how many galaxies do we have in the universe? My goodness. This was taken by the Hubble telescope. Do you know it's of this light? These are not stars. Do you see all of this? All of these things? All of this? Each one of them is a galaxy. There are billions of galaxies. Is your God big, yes or no? Have you encountered Him? I tell you, how do I know you be a big God or not? Very simple. How many of you have problems? Raise your hands. You have problems. All right. All of us have problems. Yes or no? Okay. In fact, some of your problems is your neighbor right seated beside you. But don't, don't look at them. Now, listen. How do I know you really know God? One test. I call that the worry test. The anxiety test. The fear test. If you have problems, let's say big problems, but your God is big. Is your problem big or small? Small. If you have a small problem, but your God is small, do you have big problem or small problem? Big. So let me tell you. How many of you have a big God? How many of you have small problems? Yeah. So tell your neighbor, my God is big, therefore my problem is small. How many of you have big problem? Raise your hands. You are not listening to me. You are not supposed to raise your hand anymore. Because I had big problems, sure, but God is bigger than my problem. Because God is bigger than my problem, my problem becomes small. There you go. So how many of you have big problem? Good, you're awake now. <laughs> Big God, small problem. Big God, small God. One more time. Big God, small God. How big is your problem? Hallelujah. Once you encounter who God is, the next thing you will encounter is yourself. A vision of who God is a vision of yourself. What does it mean? Isaiah saw himself. Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm, a, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You notice? How do you know you have encountered God? You will know you have encountered God when you begin to see yourself as you really are. Until you encounter God, you will not really see yourself. To be transformed, have an encounter with God, a vision of who God is, and then you have a vision of yourself. Look at how he saw himself. He says, whoa, whoa is me. What does that mean? Isaiah saw his own sinfulness. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. People who have not encountered God are very critical of others. 
People who don't know the Lord are proud people. They judge others. They focus on the sins of others. But my experience is this. If you come to know the Lord, you encounter Him. You stop looking at the fault of others. You stop blaming others. You begin to see yourself. And you begin to realize, wow, I am a sinner. Before you come to know the Lord, listen to me. You judge others. You criticize others. But once you come to know the Lord, you become humble. People don't realize this. Many times, we compare ourselves with others. When you compare yourself with others, you can look good. Yes or no? But when you compare yourself with God, that's another story. Let me give you an example. Many of you don't realize, when I was in high school, what is this? Can you zoom in on this? This is a gold medal. People don't realize I have gold medals in the field of sports, track and field. I won a gold medal in javelin. I won a gold medal in shot put. I won a gold medal in discus. Are you aware of that? Okay. I thought I was the best. Because in high school, I won gold medals. Then I went to college, university. I joined the UAAP. Wow. I discovered I did not even win gold. I did not win silver. I did not win bronze. In other words, nothing. Because I'm now comparing myself with the best of the best. Different schools. You see, that's how we are. You compare with other people, you think you are great. My son used to live in New York City. New York City is the center of Broadway show. If you are from a small town in the States, and you think you are the best singer, so, and you think you are the best actor, you go to Broadway, and then you go for audition. And then you begin to realize, my goodness, with these people, I sound like a duck. <laughs> you, you, you may think you are the most beautiful, the most amazing actor, best singer. Then you go to Broadway, New York City, the best of the best. Then you, you realize, man, I am far. That's what happens when you encounter God. You realize, whoa, whoa, I am a sinner. You see, Isaiah saw himself. I am a man of unclean lips. Hip, deep humility. You know, the Bible tells us the mouth is the acid test of your spirituality. Do you know that? The mouth is the test of your spirituality. The book of James tells us the hardest thing to control is the mouth. You know why? The Bible tells us. Let's read this together. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. In other words, from the heart, how do you express the heart? From the mouth. And the Bible says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness. In other words, the mouth is the loudspeaker of the heart. My friend, what's your tongue? If I look at my life, I realize I'm a sinner. Because God looks at, looks at my heart. How are you today? How do you see yourself? 
Once you have an encounter with God, you see yourself. I'm finished. I am a sinner. Until you encounter holy God, you will never see the need for forgiveness. You will never see a need for the Lord. You know why? You are self-sufficient. You know what happens when you humble yourselves before God because you realize you're a sinner? Look at what happened to Isaiah. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you notice about God? The moment Isaiah humbled himself, the moment Isaiah said, I am a sinner, I live among people on thin lips, I'm done, I'm finished, boom, God did something. God did not wait for Isaiah to say, will you forgive me? No. God on his own did something. He took the initiative. What did God do? Notice. He sent an angel. These are all symbolic. Seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand. Look at the burning coal. Where did this coal come from? He had taken from the altar with tongues. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle, the altar is the place where animals are sacrificed. God is showing us a picture that forgiveness comes from the altar where the animals are sacrificed, where the New Testament makes it clear. Who was sacrificed for us on the cross? Jesus. The Old Testament will not make sense until you connect everything with Jesus. So that burning coal comes from the altar. The altar is the place where animals are sacrificed for our sins. And the Bible tells us the super angel brought the coal, not just to the mouth, think, to the lips. Huh. So let me ask you, was it painful? What do you think? Was it painful? You know why I'm silent? Because I don't know. Perhaps, but from the mouth, it went to the lips. And the moment it touched the lips, of Isaiah, guess what happened? Look at what Isaiah, look at what God said. I love this. This has touched your lips. And, everybody read together, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Friends, an encounter with God will allow you to see who God is. It will allow you to see yourself for who you really are. The manifestation is humility, and the experience of forgiveness. My friend, do you realize the root problem today of young people? You know why they're depressed? You know why young people are usually depressed? Very simple. You have not learned to deal with your guilt. You have not learned to deal with your sin inside your heart. So what the world will try to do is to explain away the sin. What the world will try to do is to give excuses for your sin. And that's why the world wants to throw away the Bible. Sin is just an attitude. However, I have discovered I can always debate with my mind, but I can never debate with my heart. I cannot debate with my conscience. You know what I need? I need forgiveness. 
And the Bible tells us, once you come to God, once you know Him, you humble yourselves, what do you experience? Forgiveness. Is forgiveness a good thing? How many of us need forgiveness today? Listen to me. You will not experience forgiveness if it's based on religion. Religion is performance. I must do this to be accepted by God. I must do this, I must do this, and I must do that so that God will love me. Not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible tells us, my standards are so high, there's nothing you can do for me to accept you. There's nothing you can do. You are a sinner. What you need is forgiveness. And only Jesus can do that for us. And once you encounter God, you will encounter forgiveness. Not only will you experience humility, you experience forgiveness. A conscience that is set free. Remember our share, Marvin? He talks about he was thinking he would serve a life sentence. What transformed his life? An encounter with God. Have you encountered the Lord? How do you know you've encountered the Lord? Look at the next evidence. Not just a vision of yourself. And the last thing I want to say is, you have a vision of the world. You see, an encounter with God will enable you to see yourself, a vision of yourself, then it enables you to see a vision of the world. What do I mean? Look at Isaiah. The Bible tells us, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Notice. Then. What does it mean then? It's only when he encountered the Lord It's only when he experienced forgiveness, then I heard. Grammatically, the Lord was speaking to whom? If you look at this verse, who was God speaking to? I heard the voice of the Lord saying, he heard. Who was God speaking to? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Let me give you a picture. Isaiah, because of his encounter with God, became very sensitive to the Lord. He heard God speaking, perhaps to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. They were speaking among themselves. Who will go for us? I have a mission. I want to save the world. Who will go for us? Isaiah heard. He volunteered. Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Friends, Once you encounter God, you will see the heart of God. God is looking for men and women who will go for Him and tell the world there is forgiveness. But you will never do that until you encounter the Lord. And once you encounter the Lord, you will encounter yourself. You see yourself as you really are. Deep humility. You see yourself in need of forgiveness. And once you experience God, you begin to hear his voice. And God is saying, who shall go for us? You know what we usually do? Lord, here am I, send him. Lord, here am I, send her. No, no, not Isaiah. Here am I, send who? Me. Can I tell you something about Isaiah? God told him, your work is not going to be easy. You see, once you encounter God, you serve Him not because it is easy. You serve Him because He is God. 
You know what God told Isaiah? Your work is going to be hard. For example, we don't have time to finish to read all the verses, but I read this a while ago. God says, go, tell these people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. A while ago, remember those verses we read? God is saying, your work will never be easy. They will keep on hearing, but they will not listen. The country will be destroyed. The people will be exiled. Isaiah, your work will never, ever be easy. Up to the end of your life, it will never be easy. But you know what Isaiah said? I'm available. Use me. But God gave him a promise. What's the promise? Look at the end of Isaiah chapter 6. This is the last verse, verse 13. There will be a tenth portion in it. It will again be subject to burning like a terebrin or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God gave Isaiah a promise. Even though the whole place is destroyed, thy stump will survive. Thy stump is a picture of Jesus, the holy seed. In other words, Israel will not be destroyed. That country, once again, will be reborn. Because the stump, when you cut it down, will it have a new tree? Yes or no? Isaiah is not just talking about Israel. Isaiah is talking about the Holy Seed. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. What's my proof that Isaiah saw Jesus? My proof to you is found in the New Testament, John 12, 41. The Bible tells us, Jesus explained this. In John 12, 41, Jesus said, let's read this together. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. And he spoke of him. Who is this him? Jesus. Friends, your work will never be easy. But God gives you a promise. When you serve God, you must have expectation. You must believe that the best is yet to come. It's not going to be easy. Many years ago, my wife had an encounter with the Lord. By the way, do you know my wife? Okay. She will show up. She was there, seated a while ago. My wife loved to fly. She was a stewardess. She loved to fly. When she was in Japan, she saw the millions of Japanese. And God opened her eyes. She began to cry. Because in her heart, she felt the Japanese... Asians. She fell in love with Asians because she felt they needed Jesus. God opened her eyes. You see, the truth is we are selfish. We have our own agenda. Her agenda was to fly. She loves to travel. But then God met her. God opened her eyes. What about the people of Asia? They've never heard about you. What did my wife do? When she went back to the States, she told her manager, I want to try and go through training with Campus Crusade for Christ. Her manager said, when you take a leave, are you planning to come back and fly with us? My wife said, probably not. She said, in that case, you might as well resign and go be trained by Campus Crusade for Christ. So my wife because of a vision God gave her. After encountering the Lord, she gave her life to say, Lord, here am I. 
sent me. Now, she gave up a beautiful place. She was serving in San Jose, San Francisco area, San Jose. Beautiful place, nice weather, like Baguio, every day. But she said, Lord, here am I, sent me. So she left the state to come where? Philippines. And my friend, when she came to the Philippines, whom did she meet? <laughs> my friend, what I'm trying to tell you is this. When you give your life to the Lord, He takes care of you. He never promised you an easy path. He never promised you your life will be full of flowers. But He promised you one thing. The end is always going to be beautiful. Even though there will be a stump, the seed is holy. Because those who give their lives to Jesus will never, ever regret it. So, I'd like you to bow your heads and to challenge you to say this prayer. Lord, here am I, send me. I want you to consider. God is asking us today, who can I send? I want you to volunteer for Jesus. I want you to be like Isaiah. If you have encountered the Lord, no longer your agenda. Allow God to change your agenda and say, Lord, here am I, send me. If you are willing to say, here am I, send me. No mental reservation. You are willing to go where God wants you to go. Be what God wants you to be. Let me repeat. You are willing to be mentally honest with God. Here am I, send me. If that is what you like, I want to pray for you. Wherever you are, will you stand up? Praise God. If you are willing to say, Lord, here am I, send me. In other words, you have thought about it. You have encountered the Lord. And if God is calling you to full-time ministry, there's no such thing as full-time, part-time. Wherever God wants you to go, wherever God wants you to be, you are saying, Lord, here am I, send me. And that's your desire. No mental reservation. Wherever he wants you to go. Many years ago, I did the same thing. I said, Lord, you know I don't want to go to Africa. But after knowing you, wherever you want me to go, I said, here am I, send me. You know, God did something amazing in my life. I gave my all to Jesus. And he called me when I was as young as many of you. God did not call me when I became old. He called me when I was still young. I was able to give the Lord the best years of my life. I want you to give the best years of your life to the Lord. I don't want you to wait until you are old. And then you say, send me. So, if God is talking to you, and you mean what you are saying to Him right now, here am I, send me. Stand up. If not, sit down. Don't stand up because everybody's standing up. Are you serious with the Lord? All right, raise your hand. Up. I want to pray for you. When I say raise your hand, it's like surrender, surrender, like this. I surrender to the Lord and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, here I am. Send me. Wherever you want me to go, 
Whatever you want me to do, I'm here. I'm available. Lord, I will be dependable. Not just available. I'll be dependable. And Lord, I want to serve you with full expectation. Counting on your holiness, on your faithfulness. Father God in heaven, I pray for this group of men and women. As they've surrendered their lives to you and say, here am I, send me. Lord, make it very clear in their lives. As you guide them step by step. Let each one of them always put you first place in their lives. Because you are the God seated on the throne. You are not a God where we manipulate, where we control. Lord, you are the God of the universe. You can do whatever you want to do with us. Lord, our expectation is that we will just do what you want us to do. Easy or not easy, we surrender our all because you are the holy God. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless.